Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more. As I travel the country, I get so many questions, but there's one question that I probably get more than any other. And it's some version of this. Sean, how do I change the world? And today I want to talk about the very first thing that you have to do to be able to change the world. It's unscripted. Uh, It's just me talking to you. I hope for a lot of you that it connects with you in a very real way. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The Breakdown. The Breakdown. Over the past five years since the Black Lives Matter movement began, I've traveled to at least 45 states. I'm going to do I'm going to check my list to make sure I I think we might have 46. <laughs> I've lost count a little bit. But as I travel, I I get a lot of questions and uh I just uh spoke 2 days ago for the 50th anniversary of the ACLU in Virginia and I got some questions there and I I have noticed a theme and it's asked in a lot of different ways. But I get a question that goes something like this. Sean, can you help me understand how to make a difference in the world? What do I need to do to change the world? And a lot of times people are, are a little disappointed in my answer because I'm not Google. Like it's not you don't just type it in and I just spit out a bunch of quick facts and links Finding your best path for you to change the world is actually really difficult. And it took me, I turned 40 in just about a week, and actually in seven days on September 17th. And it took me nearly 40 years to find my groove, to find my lane. Now, it doesn't mean you wait 40 years until you start trying to change the world. I've been trying to change the world my entire adult life. I've been a public leader since I was 17 years old. But all of it, all of it begins with a decision. And today I want to talk about what that decision is, what it isn't. Um, I want to give you permission to change your mind if you've already made a decision because here's what I know and and it's a it's a simple sounding lesson that is harder to live out right now there are so many problems in the world the climate crisis is real natural disasters and disaster relief is real International development, international aid, including in war ter- war-torn societies, that's very real. Of course, for me, mass incarceration and police brutality are real. Uh, um, issues of, of health, disease are real. Uh, education and literacy are real. Issues around food and diet and fitness 
you could go in a million different ways with your life. And what I've come to understand is that in great part because of what social media does to us, providing us endless, sometimes overwhelming amounts of information, 24 hours a day, seven days a week about the entire world, we now have more access to more information than anybody in the history of the world. And people ask me all the time, like, Sean, are some of these problems actually worse or is social media making them feel and sound worse? And I, and I say it's both. Many of the greatest problems in our society right now are actually worse. Hate crimes are worse. Police brutality is worse. The climate crisis is worse. Gun violence is worse. Mass shootings, school shootings are worse. And social media now makes us hyper aware of just how bad each of those problems are. So it's not a figment of our imagination and it's not just a, a symptom of social media. The problems that we're fighting against are worse. And because of social media, we now know just how bad they truly are. And what I find is that because we see so many major challenges going on at once. And we see so many good people fighting against those challenges that it can be really, really hard to make a decision. And I'm editing a part of my book right now. And, and as soon as I finish this episode of the podcast, I have a call with my editors and then have to spend several hours working back on the edits um, because everything is due by the end of this month for us to stay on track I made a decision and I, I fought for all types of change between the ages of 17 and 34. That's half of my life at, up to that point. I fought for all types of change in all types of ways. I had many different career choices and paths, and I'm proud of what I did from 17 to 34. But at the age of 34, that was when... I experienced, as many of you experienced, the, the brutal police murder of Eric Garner, of John Crawford at a Walmart in Ohio, of Mike Brown on Canfield Drive, outside of his family's home in Ferguson, Missouri, of Tamir Rice, of a young brother named Ezel Ford who was having what appeared to be a mental health crisis when the LAPD shot and killed him. And all at once, those things happened, and it was in that moment. Now, I had fought against mass incarceration for my entire adult life. I had fought against police brutality for years and years and years since I was a teenager. But in 2014, at the age of 34, I made a decision. I'm going to throw my whole life into this. Like, this, this is going to be my primary work, my primary calling. Now, I still care about the environment. I still care about a hundred other issues, but I'm going to make fighting back against police brutality and mass incarceration, changing laws, changing systems, changing the people in charge of these systems. I'm going to make that my primary mission because here's what I know. Here's what I've experienced until you make that decision. Now, now let me be clear. I don't mean until you make the decision I made. Because for you, 
Your choice may not be police brutality or mass incarceration. It probably won't. If it is, I am elated. I I am over the top glad if that's your choice. But my choice to dedicate my life to fighting back against systemic injustice, against mass incarceration and police brutality, that decision came out of my life. That decision didn't come out of nowhere. It didn't, even though 2014 was this explosive year for police brutality, for the Black Lives Matter movement, it was a pivotal year. It was that year where after a young lifetime of fighting for change in many different ways, I just made the decision. This is what I'm going to fight for. And that's, that's my question for you. Have you made a decision? What is your decision? And there are many ways that I tell people regularly to, to judge whether or not that decision has been made. If you ask anybody who knows me, and not just because I'm now well-known, if you ask my family, if you ask my, I have a private Facebook uh, page, you know, just for friends and family. If you ask anybody on my private Facebook page, hey, what, what does Sean fight for? They're going to be able to tell you. Because you can't know me without knowing that I am fighting against mass incarceration, against police brutality, and I am fighting for deep systemic change. You can't be in my ecosystem and not be aware of that. So the greatest indication that you have made a decision to fight for something very particular as your primary cause, as your primary calling, isn't when I ask you. Because when I ask you, and by you, I don't just mean you as an individual. When I ask people, what decision did you make? They always have an answer. The clearest indication of whether or not you actually made an answer is when I ask everybody in your world. If I ask your parents, your siblings, your college classmates, your Facebook friends, the people you text with, they should know. And until they know, then you haven't really made a decision. Because when you make a decision, it will be clear to everybody on your job, everybody in your world, in your ecosystem, in your universe, everybody knows this is what you fight for. I mean, you may literally announce it, but let, and that's fine. And I actually, I advocate that you may literally announce it, but less than you announcing it is you fighting for it day in and day out. You recruiting the people in your world to fight for it with you. And and here's the thing. And here's my philosophy. And you may have heard me tell this story before, but I was speaking at Bates College in Maine. And I think this was all the way back in 2015. And a young, um, a young sister from Somalia who was dressed in a hijab came up to me after hearing me say that we all need to make a decision on the primary fight we're going to be in. And this young sister came up to me and uh, she was, she was very complimentary. She, she, she loved the speech and she said, but I'm having a problem with what you're saying. And she said, you know, Mr. King, I am black in America. Mr. King, I am an immigrant in America. Mr. King, 
I am from Somalia, which is on the banned countries list. I am a Muslim in America. I am a woman in America. And, and in fact, Mr. King, I am all of those things at the same time. And she said, how, how are you expecting me to just pick one of those things to fight for, to fight for women's issues, to fight for Muslims' issues, to fight for immigrants' issues, to fight for Somalia? And my answer to that, to her, was yes and no. And I'll give you that answer now, and then we'll close for the day because I'm wanting you to chew on this some. And I can't wait for you to get the book because we spend time really unpacking this in, in what I think is, is a profound way pushing you to make a choice. We should care about 25, 30, 50 different things. There are 50 things to care about, and many of them will be personal. So when I was there at Bates College, yes, she is being attacked. Her, her very humanity is being attacked, not in one way, but in at least five different ways. So, of course, she has to care about all five of those things. But here is what I know from experience. You can only fight effectively on one or two issues. That doesn't mean that you only care about one or two issues. And, and if you only cared about one or two issues, then I would say you are either cold and callous or, or woefully uninformed because there are dozens of serious problematic issues going on all at the same time, all right at this very moment. But what happens if you try to fight 25 battles is you may, may get a very tiny little bit done on all 25 of them. Not much. You'll get a little bit done. You you mainly, when you fight 25 battles, get the emotional payoff of feeling like you fought in 25 battles. But you don't get the systemic change that you are actually fighting for. It is not possible to fight for systemic change as one individual for 25 different causes, even for 10 different causes to fight and successfully get that systemic change. And I'll close with this kind of anecdote as my answer. Here's, here's what I want you to do. Make a decision on the one or two things you will dedicate your primary energy to. And then for all the other things, I'm wanting you to identify people who made those other issues they made those their primary issues, and you then support and amplify them. So for me, you know, my issues are mass incarceration and all the systems that come under that and police brutality and all the systems that come under that. But I still care a lot about the climate crisis. The best I can do with that is to amplify the other people and organizations to support them because they made the decision that that was going to be their main thing. And 
I need you to decide what's your main thing and then figure out who can you support who made decisions that are different than yours on what their main thing is going to be and how can you give them the the support and encouragement that they need to stick with that battle. We are going to be successful when more of us plant our feet and make a decision that we're going to fight for a very particular type of change and we're not going to leave until it happens. Take care, everybody. Break it down. Hi, I'm Nikki Rojas. I'm the senior writer for The North Star and co-host of its newest podcast, America the Voiceless. As part of its Woman Crush Wednesday series, The North Star highlights strong women of color every week who are using their voices to help their communities. This week, The North Star's Woman Crush Wednesday is youth activist Anya Dillard. Anya is a 17-year-old activist who has been giving back to her community since she was five years old. In June, Anya and a group of students from West Orange, New Jersey, organized a Black Lives Matter protest following the death of George Floyd, who was killed in police custody in May. Continuing her activism, she's also the founder of The Next Gen Come Up, an online magazine that spreads awareness about social and political issues that are affecting the younger generation. To learn more about Anya and why we're crushing on her and her work, head on over to at the North Star Media on Instagram to read more about her. Whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five, keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck on messes. And they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth-like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home.